1: to just the truth. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive into religious liberty and the Constitution. These are important questions on a variety of subjects. When we look at what's going on in South Dakota with Governor Kristi Noem and the transgender bill that should be protecting women's sports. When we look at church closures amidst the pandemic, when we look at a lot of different things throughout the course of America's history, we need to know about the truth of the protections of religious liberty, why this was so important to our founding fathers, and how it's applied. and should be incredibly important for us today. So joining me tonight is my very dear friend, CEO and President of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris. So Mike, thank you so much. This is so exciting for me to have you on set. Uh, thank you for being here.
2: Well, it's a great privilege to be with you. I have a uh, father-type pride in seeing all the things that you've been able to do over the years. God bless you.
1: Thank you so much. And um, and I, I was telling John, our producer, just before the show that um, that that that's so true. I consider myself your eleventh kid because you've <laughs> um, you have been a mentor to me uh, in for years. You wrote the foreword to my book and um, have really championed my love of the Constitution. And so this conversation is so important to me because you've really been uh, one of my professors for a long time, and you still are. So. Um, So thank you for your expertise, and um, for the viewers who don't know about uh, Alliance Defending Freedom and also um, don't know as much about your history and love of the Constitution, um, explain why you became a constitutional law attorney.
2: Well, I've uh, been an attorney now for uh, over 40 years. I started when I was nine, and (laughs) uh, I um, uh, have been practicing constitutional law for virtually all of that time. Uh, I first started a state public policy organization that was uh, eventually called the Bill of Rights Legal Foundation. Then I worked for Concerned Women for America for six years. I was the founder of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and defended the rights of homeschooling families for over thirty years. And then four years ago, uh, after as well as HSLDA, I was the founder of Patrick Henry College, uh, which has the best moot court team in the country by yes. by a long shot, <laughs> and I coached uh, that moot court team to 12 national championships, and I also uh, was uh, teaching constitutional law while being the president, and then later the chancellor of, of Patrick Henry.
1: And you helped me start the moot court team at Colorado Christian I did. University. I and did, and they got to the second in the
2: nation this year. They did yes, really well.
1: which thanks to your yeah. help.
2: So, um, uh, the... Um, uh, and then for the last four years, I, I was hired away from what I had been doing and uh, became the president and CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom, which is by a good measure the largest conservative slash Christian legal organization uh, in the world. Uh, we have over 300 staffers with 12 offices around the world. Uh, we deal with religious freedom, right to life, uh, marriage and sexual sanity, uh, freedom of speech and parental rights are the five issues that we focus on. So. I uh, have a big team and a great team, and we, uh, we the, we're the lawyers for for Jack Phillips and uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop, who just finished his uh, third trial yesterday. Uh, yeah. We'll and be so, talking about yeah, that soon so, in the show. Uh, that's w- the way many people know Alliance Defending Freedom. We've we've done a lot of cases, but uh, that's our perhaps our most famous.
1: Yes. And uh, everyone, I think, is familiar with Masterpiece Cake Shop. And, you know, you mentioned Concerned Women for America. I just had Penny Nance on the program. And then you also mentioned HSLDA. I've had Mike Donnelly on the program. So, you know, there's so many people who are invested in so many different areas of genuinely keeping conservatism. And I think that's important for a lot of people to know when they're seeing some of the discouragement, uh, perhaps, and experiencing like with the Biden administration and all of these things uh, to know that there are champions and advocates uh, like you and others that are uh, truly focused on these issues. And the first thing that I want to ask you, Mike, um, is about uh, Governor Christy Noem out in South Dakota. Um, you are a prolific user of Facebook, and yes. um, everyone should follow Mike on Facebook, by the way, uh, because you post a lot of your constitutional analysis on your personal page. And one of these has been uh, with Governor Noem and her refusal to sign a bill that would protect uh, women's rights and and female athletes in sports. And of course, Christy Noem has tried to, Uh, backpedal her reasons a little bit. Um, But I think people are genuinely confused on this issue because they like her as a Republican. They like her pandemic COVID response. Um, So explain, uh, Mike, the the overview of why this, why her rationale is problematic in your view.
2: Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, ADF has been defending uh, women's sports uh, for some time now. If you've heard about the case in Connecticut, where, uh, we are defending the girls who want to play girls sports in Connecticut. And uh, we're uh, also defending a, a women athletes in, at the collegiate level in Idaho. So all the female uh, cases regarding transgender males entering into female sports, their ADF cases. We've also built a coalition. We have 14 state attorney generals already who have backed us in these cases and are working with us. Uh, similar legislation is passed in a number of states. And so when uh, we went to South Dakota, they have started with our model bill on this subject to make it clear that both high school girls and college young women would be protected and they would not be required to compete against men. Uh, that bill was, we expected to sail through, it's a strong Republican state, and she promised to sign the legislation. So we thought, friendly state, great governor, this is going to be no terrific. Problem, yeah. Yeah, and she she promised, when it passed uh, the first uh, chamber, she tweeted out, I can't wait to sign this bill. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden... Amazon weighed in, the NCAA weighed in, and she started changing her tune. And so, uh, basically, she is saying that the correct response to the bullying by the, uh, by the NCAA and by Amazon is to surrender for now, and we're, we'll come back later. Now, when you're still in the, in the game, you, 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 you play to the end. You, you don't say, you know, we'll get them next year until you have lost. She is preemptively surrendering, and this will be disastrous for girls' sports all over the country. If they can get one governor, one Republican governor to give up, they will bully the rest of these people unmercifully. Wow. And so we need, we absolutely must win this one now. Uh, So she's, she's, you know, uh, we appreciate her, her past stance, but she needs to keep her original promise.
1: Absolutely. And I want to follow up on that when we come right back here on Just the Truth.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free?
1: Welcome back to Just the Truth. We're continuing our conversation with Mike Ferris, who is the CEO and president of Alliance Defending Freedom. So, Mike, before the break, we were talking about uh, the legislation that should be signed in South Dakota. And I didn't actually know that this was model legislation that ADF has passed um, already in in how many states?
2: Well, it's passed in this uh, basic form in Mississippi. A uh, prior version was passed in Idaho, and it's being considered in many states. It, it passed the Arkansas legislature uh, this week. Uh, I uh, was there, um, actually it was, yeah, is earlier this week. The uh, time flies. And uh, it has not yet been signed by the, by the governor. And so uh, so it's it's going in many states. And so the idea that we have to go off and build this coalition, that's her current excuse. We need to go build a coalition. The coalition is there. It, we've built it. And yet she's uh, ignoring us, ignoring our, our efforts to, to help. And she's just caving into bullies. I mean, this is really, really serious. So, while the Democrats are pushing the most egregious forms of everything they can think of in H.R. uh, 1 and in the the Equality Act, they're being bold. Republicans are timidly responding to Things that should be very basic. And Republicans need to understand if they want our people to support them, they need to deliver the goods. They need to actually stand strong and stand up to these bullies. I mean, we simply cannot let Amazon set the social policy of this country so they turn people into these compliant consumers that just hit the button and reorder some more stuff from Amazon while they govern the country. No, we need to have bold patriots who will stand up for what's right.
1: Absolutely. And I'm so grateful that you're doing that. And so um, so you. You and Kristen Wagoner, who's another uh, ADF lawyer, has uh, she's been in, engaged on Twitter with this. And of course, Kristi Nome uh, put out a pretty lengthy uh, excuse in, I think, uh, um, your and my view about why she is uh, sending this back to the legislature for some corrections. And she also went on Tucker Carlson's show last night, and she had this as her reason for sending it back. I want you to respond to this
0: the bill the way that it is today uh, and then also uh, but it wouldn't solve the problem and and that's the real issue. As I looked at the bill and examined it and have been discussing with legal scholars for many months on how to protect women's sports this bill would only allow the NCAA to bully South Dakota and it would actually prevent women from being able to to participate in collegiate sports. So what I've done is I've asked the legislature through a style uh, and reform. I'm I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt but just Asked them I'm, to I'm change so the bill. Wait, can
2: you just back up for one sec? For our viewers who haven't followed this as closely, how would this bill prevent women mm-hmm. from playing in South Dakota, if you would?
0: Because what it would do is it would put a law on the books that would allow the NCAA to take punitive action against our state. And we're a small state, Tucker. Uh, we've had to fight hard to get any tournaments to come to South Dakota. When they took punitive action against us, we would have to litigate. And legal scholars that I have been consulting with for many, many months say that I would very likely lose those litigation efforts.
1: So, Mike, she's saying that this is going to result in litigation. Oh, no, we have to send this back for Style and form. Your response?
0: Well, first of all, she says
2: she's been... Consulting with legal scholars for many months. She doesn't name them. The people who have been litigating these for many months is us. And she has not been consulting with us. Uh, If you really want to, you know, you're a Republican, you want to know the truth about, ask the people who litigate these cases. Secondly, a couple of weeks ago, she was in favor of this bill. So she's been in consulting with these legal scholars for many, many months. Why was she in favor of it two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden she's against it? Did the legal scholars change their minds? What happened? She doesn't explain that. And let's be clear about whether women could play. Women will be able to play, and no men will be able to play in South Dakota if this bill is signed in its original form. What she's talking about is being able to host tournaments. That's tourism dollars that she's interested in, not mm-hmm. sports opportunity. If you want South Dakota women to be able to play women's sports, you sign the bill so that they'll play all the, the games. Now, whether the NCA. NCAA brings the, the tournament to South Dakota or they have to go to some other state to play in the tournament. That's the only thing that's issue here. And, and I think that we need to be able to stop what's, in you know, any other context, what, what NCAA is, is saying, it would be called bribery, saying, we will not give you money unless you take official action in, in this context. It would be considered a bribe. Now, I've checked, it does not appear to be um, meet the bribe standard in South Dakota, but morally speaking, speaking. That's what's going on. And so, uh, you know, she she just, she's not being straightforward with the the American people and with the people of South Dakota. And we deserve better. We deserve people who will be truthful and who will be bold and strong. And she's not doing either of those things right now.
1: And I appreciate you calling this clearly because we as conservatives need to be interested in conserving the truth and making sure that we're advocates for our rule of law and for uh, ethics and, and equity and all of these genuine principles that are at the root of the biblical worldview of our country. And a lot of people that I've seen in response to um, the Facebook posts that I've made and, um, and even on her Twitter feed, they're saying, well, you know, we don't need to be divisive in the Republican Party right now. We need to go for the issues that really matter matter. And um, so what's your response to people who say, well, we shouldn't call out Christy Nome because she's a Republican?
2: Well, if this issue doesn't matter, not much matters. Because the question, the ultimate question here is, is it okay to believe that there's a biological difference between men and women? Because the left is trying to drive down everyone's throat the the ability to to say no one can disagree. We're we're not only litigating sports cases, we're litigating cases where people are being fired from their jobs as professors, as physicians, in other contexts, because they say, no, there is male and female. God created male and female, and I'm not going to use the wrong pronoun. Uh, I'll call the person by their whatever first name they want to be called, but I'm not going to use the wrong pronoun because that requires me to deny the reality of, god's creation and if god's creation of male and female is not worth standing up and fighting for i don't know what is it, it's you know i don't like face masks any more than anybody else but face masks pale in comparison to god's created order you know, whether we're men or whether we're women
1: Yes, and that goes into the Jack Phillips case, because that's something that you've been litigating for a while, right. of standing firm on the truth, that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that we don't have to participate in a celebration of something that's a lie. And so where is that case in the midst of all this?
2: Well, in fact, the case, the th- you know, round three of Jack Phillips, is a transgender reveal cake case, uh, a, a lawyer who was a man, now th- says he's a woman. Uh, wants to have a cake that was one color on the outside and a different color on the inside to announce and celebrate his new gender. And, uh, you know, Jack Phillips will sell him any number of products, but he will not create for him a message, because it was clearly a message cake. He will not create a message that he dis- disagrees with. And the First Amendment, freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, both should protect that. But if Christy Noam gets away with this, Jack Phillips loses this because, you know, if if they can be compelled to let men play sports, Jack can be compelled to to declare this message. Uh, The churches can be compelled to organize their restrooms and their camps and their, uh, their Christian dorms and colleges. All those facilities can be required to follow the politically correct agenda of the NCAA and Amazon and these corporate bullies We've got to stand up for what's right, and we have to fight them at every turn and not give up on any of them.
1: Yeah, and so obviously you're not afraid to litigate these cases, no. and um, and you shouldn't be, and you won the Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop case. Do you think that that was, a lot of people said that that was um, too narrow of a decision. Do you think that, uh, that that's something that needs to be broadened in terms of the protections, or where is this going from a litigation standpoint?
2: Well, we argued Masterpiece quite broadly. The court didn't rule as broadly as we'd argued, but we were glad for a 7-2 victory on the free exercise of religion, and saying that uh, being, Being discriminatory against religious people is an unconstitutional act. We had seven Supreme Court justices, including Elena Kagan, join our uh, majority in that case. That was a, a great victory. Now we have other cases. We have the Baronel Stutzman case pending before the Supreme Court right now and she's the florist from my hometown. Her trial was in Kennewick, Washington. I graduated from Kennewick High School. Her trial uh, uh, involves her store in Richland, Washington. My family's owned a Christian bookstore in Richland, Washington for until just recently uh, for decades and, and so to say it's it's close to home is the understatement of the century. Baronel served a man uh, 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 who was involved in a same-sex relationship for years with doing floral arrangements for him. But when he wanted her to do her wedding, she took her his hands in hers and said, "Rob, you know that I love you. And I'll do almost anything for you, but to, to celebrate your wedding with you would require me to deny my Lord." And Rob said, "Fine," uh, you know, he, he expressed no ill will. She went to the florist that she recommended, but. The ACLU got a hold of it, the attorney general of the state got a hold of it, and they've been after Baronell for uh, close to, well, seven or eight years now. And so uh, that case may be the case that's been pending at the Supreme Court for a couple years now, may be the case that the court takes up to clarify this issue once and for all. They could do it through the Fulton case in, in the, out of Philadelphia that's already been argued. Uh, but all these things are damaged by what's going on in South Dakota, if we give up, the damage is is very, very difficult to overcome.
1: And so, Mike, if you were writing the Supreme Court opinion, and I've been a strong advocate that you should be sitting on the <laughs> Supreme Court, we would be yeah. in a lot better position, yeah. but if you're telling the justices, here's, here's the rule, here's the test, what would you like to see come from the Supreme Court?
2: Well, I, I would like to see that uh, the freedom of speech and the free exercise of their religion both protect... Uh, in the Jack Phillips and Baronell Stutzman kind of cases, both protect the the right of people to not deliver messages, not per, per, uh, participate in ceremonies that they don't agree with. That's on that side of it. On the transgender issue, Title IX of the... Uh, federal civil rights law says that women's sports need to be protected. When you let men on the team, no matter what your excuse is, you're denying women the opportunity to compete. And that's the ruling that we would like to see in that zone, that, that women's sports are for women and only women.
1: Absolutely. And the only way that you get there is to litigate some of these cases. And so uh, Christy Noem should say, hey, have at it. We've got great lawyers at Alliance defending freedom yeah. who are willing to protect the integrity of this legislation and protect the integrity of women's sports. And um, and when we come back, Mike, I want to have a broader conversation about religious liberty, the history and the context. There's no one better than you to explain it and uh, to, to talk about that in context, especially for churches. So we'll be right back with more of Just the Truth with my good Friend Mike Ferris, the CEO and president of Alliance Defending Freedom.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Continuing the conversation now with my friend, CEO and President of Alliance Defending Freedom, Mike Ferris, on the topic of religious freedom and why that's so important to analyzing all of these different policy issues, what's happening at the Supreme Court, what's going on with the pandemic response and church closures. This touches and concerns everything that we as Americans want to make sure is protected and preserved in terms of our fundamental, unalienable rights that are given by God, our Creator, and are supposed to be protected by our government. So, Mike, as we're talking, about religious freedom in the context and the purpose of why that's specifically enumerated in the First Amendment, um, there are some people that would say, well, you know, religious freedom is uh, either antiquated, it doesn't really mean what it means in the context of the Constitution, or they don't maybe properly understand how that's applied. So in terms of uh, religious liberty as an overall topic, how do you define it in the context of the Constitution?
2: Well, there are two religion clauses in the Constitution. Uh, The one that most people are most familiar with is the so-called separation of church and state, really more properly called the Establishment Clause. And that clause deals with how much religious activity can the government do without crossing the line. Um, The second clause is the one where I've, I've, I've litigated on the Establishment Clause in front of the U.S. Supreme Court and otherwise, but principally my career has been on the Free Exercise Clause, which is. Uh, what religious people can do and when the government tries to invade their space. And in that area, uh, unless the government has a very uh, overriding interest, such as human life protection. You can't do child sacrifice in the name of religion. Uh, if the government has an overriding interest and there's no reasonable alternative that is less restrictive on religious freedom, then people can obey God rather than man. So if, if for example, when our family started homeschooling our kids 40 years ago approximately, um, we uh, were violating the, the law of Washington State. We believe that God required us to teach our kids at home. And so So the question is, did the government have a compelling reason to stop us? The answer was no, because the government's interest was that our kids become literate and self-sufficient, and we were able to prove overwhelmingly that our kids were uh, doing very well on both literacy and self-sufficiency and other academic measures, and so um, I litigated homeschool cases for over 30 years using religious freedom, and won virtually all of them ultimately, because. Uh, we were able to show that religious freedom was not incompatible with the legitimate goals of the state, but but some of the other goals of the state weren't all that legitimate. So the basic answer is you can obey God rather than man if the reasons are appropriate.
1: So when we're looking at this question in the context of the pandemic, that's been um, a lot of the debate, particularly around church closures, because people would say a reasonable alternative is to is to just do Zoom church or to say, well, we have to enforce masks and social distancing. So um, talk about that particular tension.
2: Well, the, um, the cases are cu- currently being decided in a less than ideal environment because of a, a decision by the United States Supreme Court in 1990 called Employment Division versus Smith. And uh, that uh, decision led to the passage of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and I'm the guy who named it. And it's only because at the original meeting, nobody else had another idea for the name, and so uh, you know, I I won by default. But uh, and I was the chairman of the group of lawyers who wrote it. And and what RIFRA did is to diminish religious freedom into a very very small space, basically unless you can show that you're not being treated equally with other secular kinds of things, you can't win a religious freedom case anymore. Now, that's, that should not be the way it's being decided, but that's current reality. And so the the, the, the question is, were churches being treated fairly compared to Walmart and marijuana sh- shops and all kinds of businesses. In California, yeah. strip clubs right. and other things right. that and, were and, businesses. And we yeah. litigated the case in Nevada where the casinos got to open at a much greater capacity than churches did. Now, ultimately, we won that case uh, in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And, and we, uh, uh, we had about 15 cases that we litigated, ultimately won them all. Uh, and we're still litigating. Some of those cases are still being uh, uh, worked out. But so under current um, procedures, we have to be able to show that churches essentially have been t- treated unfairly that shouldn 't be the rule. The rule should be that the government ha- must have a overridingly compelling interest and there 's no other way to accomplish its objective and Frankly, what I think breaks down here is the government really can 't prove it 's science here this is it 's all conjecture, and until there is replicable science here. Uh, a proper analysis under the correct time-honored legal standards would be to throw all these cases out because nobody really knows if masks worked, Nobody really knows if social distancing worked. It is just conjecture at this point. There are no double-blind, replicable studies that uh, uh, support all the variety of things. There may be one or two aspects of it that have been tested properly. But the overarching thing is being made up on the spot. And governors should not have the ability to legislate. That's another constitutional principle. Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, as you remember from con-law class, is all legislative authority is vested in the Congress. And the same thing is true at the state level. Governors aren't supposed to be able to make the rules. Presidents aren't supposed to be able to make the rules ultimately, it's the legislative job and that's not what's happening. So there's a a whole host of constitutional problems with the way things are going. Uh, And ultimately I hope this is all uh, settled in an appropriate way. But churches, we've been defending churches. We have a a ministry specifically for churches, it's a division of ADF called the Church and Ministry Alliance and we're there to defend churches on any religious freedom cases uh, including COVID or transgender or LGBT issues or whatever it is that they're uh, wanting to uh, be able to protect their religious freedom, ADF is there to help them. So I would encourage any pastor or church leader listening to go to our website and look at our Church and Ministry Alliance program.
1: Yeah, and that's at ADFlegal.org and I know my home church is a part of uh, that and that was a creation of yours when you came on to Alliance Defending Freedom uh, to provide those protections for churches and we were one of the first because it's a great great idea. And so for some of the pastors that maybe are saying, well you know the Bible says that to love your neighbor, and what's the problem with Zoom Church? And uh, you know, from both a biblical standpoint, because you're also uh, a pastor, a minister yourself, and uh, but also from a legal, precedential perspective, uh, why is that the wrong argument to just say, well, let's just let the government do whatever it wants?
2: Well, it goes back to the, the historical and biblical reason why we have religious freedom in the first place, and the the reason is, is because God gives the soul of man to the individual, and it's a direct relationship with God. It is no jurisdiction of the government. the The people that argued for religious freedom, I've written a book on this. It's called The History of Religious Freedom, uh, 500 pages, 50 pages of bibliography, 50 pages of footnote. It is bulletproof. And the the uh, the reason we have religious freedom is not the Enlightenment. It is ordinary believers who stood up for the principle that my relationship with God is between me and God, the government has no role. And so it's, it's, it's a lack of jurisdiction. The government is not assigned the role either in the Bible, the Constitution, the common law, anywhere you look. The government doesn't have a role in what goes on in church or in the soul of man. And so the whole area of religion is beyond the competence of government. That's why we set it aside. The same thing is true about newspaper reporting. That's another First Amendment uh, principle. Or television, this venue. You know, the idea that the government could shut down television news or, you know, The Washington Post or The New York Times uh, during a pandemic, that's crazy talk, because that's a freedom. Well, so is religious freedom. You know, we, If you want the right comparator, uh, you look at the New York Times, uh, uh, offices, you look at the television studios, did they shut the television studios down? No, they didn't. And so they shouldn't shut the churches down either because one's a First Amendment activity, the other is also a First Amendment activity. All of them should be able to operate. And you know, if churches want to, I mean, if they live in a, if they've got an elderly uh, uh, congregation, if they, you know, the, if they want to do social distancing, the, the issue isn't what churches should do. The issue is who decides hmm. what the churches should do. I'm currently an elder at, at our church at Cal, uh, uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. And you know, our elder board, and not the governor of Virginia, should decide the policy for Cornerstone Chapel. And we, you know, we, we have done some common sense things. We just don't think the governor should have the jurisdiction to decide these issues. We should decide.
1: Absolutely. And so, uh, so with that, that's only the perspective and only the protected right that we have in this country because of religious freedom. So, so contrast that to uh, maybe some of the other countries where there's persecution of the church, because there's um, another idea that's out there that says, well, you know, with persecution comes refining of the church and we should allow all of this and not maybe not stand up for religious freedom because um, then that will purify the church.
2: Well, Um, ADF has uh, offices all over the world and we uh, have a particularly uh, uh, large uh, uh, influence and and a number of uh, cases and and lawyers in India where religious persecution is extremely difficult right now. I can tell you right now that the the persecution does have a, a refining effect on the church. I will also tell you those people want religious freedom. And the idea that that we wouldn't want it. I mean, this, where the spirit of the Lord, there is there is freedom, the word of God tells us. The idea that people uh, want that kind of thing so they can be refined, it just doesn't bear up under experience. And maybe, you know, somebody who visits one time, uh, you know, may get a wrong impression. I've been working on this as a lawyer, litigating these cases and helping others who are litigating these cases for about 30 years now, including I, I, I spent 11 years with international group uh, out of Switzerland called Christian Solidarity International. I was their international vice president. Christians aren't inviting persecution. They want freedom everywhere. And all people want freedom everywhere. I mean, uh, the UN uh, Human Rights Charters, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights declares freedom as an unbelievable right. That's, you know, Religious freedom is at the bedrock of all freedom. Without religious freedom, we really don't have freedom at all, and we certainly don't have America.
1: And so would you say in the last uh, just about 30 seconds we have here that religious freedom is uh, one of the rights that is going to be the most challenged in the current administration, um, or is that something that we're kind of looking at some other parts and contexts overall? I think that's the the
2: one that they're probably going to take on uh, more than anything else. And we can, you know, expand on that, but they are taking dead aim in the Equality Act and many other contexts.
1: And including uh, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is now, you know, the head of Health and Human Services. (laughs) I want to ask you more about that. Uh, When we come back, I'm talking with uh, CEO and President of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris, who has done a lot of work on religious liberty and why it's so important to make sure that we are making the government do their job to preserve and protect our freedom and liberty. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And we're continuing the conversation on the purpose, history, and application of religious freedom in the context of the First Amendment and why it's so important for you to understand why we need to fight for the correct precedent uh, in the court, why it's important to stand up for the correct legislation, like coming out of South Dakota. And um, I'm continuing the conversation with Mike Ferris, who is the CEO and president of Alliance Defending Freedom. And right before the break, Mike, um, we were kind of getting into the conversation about um, the Biden administration and the distinctions here, very clear with uh, who he is putting in his administration, particularly in the Department of Health and Human Services, where we have um, Xavier Becerra, and we also have now Dr. Rachel Levine, the first openly transgender biological man, uh, not a woman. And uh, you have some history with Becerra and uh, that whole tenor of coming out of California. So I wanna get your view on the NIFLA case, why that was important um, that you personally argued and what you think um, those appointments and those types of appointments signal from the Biden administration.
2: Well, Secretary Becerra was Attorney General Becerra when I argued uh, NIFLA versus Becerra in the Supreme Court in uh, the spring of 2018. Uh, California passed a law that said um, that pro-life pregnancy centers, uh, there were two kinds of centers. One were medical centers where they had to advertise for free abortions provided by the state, uh, either on their wall or in in some other communication. And the non-medical centers had to give a different kind of disclaimer that was basically, both of them together aimed at putting the pro-life pregnancy centers out of business. That's what they were really trying to do. And California, in its briefing, uh, celebrated its progressive agenda. You know, this is what Becerra puts before the Supreme Court of the United States, saying, this is a progressive, wonderful thing that we're doing of shutting down these alternative voices. And uh, Justice Kennedy, who's uh, you know been pretty progressive himself at times, uh, wrote uh, a concurring opinion in in the in the case that we won five to four, um, just you know lambasting. Uh, California's so-called progressivism. And so we, you know, he says, you know, freedom for, for differing views is ex- extraordinarily important. And what California is do, doing here is stifling dissents, dis- uh, d- uh, stifling alternative views. Justice Thomas wrote a masterful majority opinion in that case. And so I uh, was, you know, thrilled to have be, been able to, to win that. Uh, we won 5-4, so that was... I'd like you know. to
1: think that I helped by the moot court prep that yes. I got to participate in. Yes, you, i yes.
2: That, that was wonderful, and yeah. uh, I had a lot of moot courts. Uh, yeah. But uh, the, um, uh, in any event, um, you know, you can't find somebody that's more opposite of what we had with you know Ben Carson and now to Becerra. Ben Carson saves babies' lives. Um, Becerra. Uh, celebrates his progressive nature when he's not only, you know, uh, advancing the right to have abortion, he's shutting down people who are trying to simply give people an alternative. Uh, that's his his progressive values, and and um, you know it goes with the Equality Act. The Equality Act probably is the biggest uh, attack on religious freedom, and and again, one of the reasons goes back to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which I know because I helped write it. Um, the uh, RFRA says it sits on top of all federal law and provides, you know, essentially a quasi-constitutional defense for any federal action unless the Congress goes in and says in this particular area religious freedom is not going to be protected through RIFRA. Well that's what the Equality Act does, in the whole area of sex and LGBT, both abortion related issues and LGBT related issues, anything to do with that sector religious freedom is thrown out entirely in, insofar as RIFRA is concerned. And so uh, they're taking dead aim at religious freedom because that's where, what, what's going on here. And so you have to say, you no, know, is the Equality Act about giving people opportunities to do what they want to do? No, uh, uh, LGBT people have all the opportunities, all the services they need from people who are willing to provide them for for them. This is about punishing people who don't want to participate. And that's entirely what it's about. It's not services, it is punishment uh, and stifling dissent. And so taking religious freedom out of there, otherwise, why would you take religious freedom out? If you're just trying to get services for people who need services, you don't need to stifle religious freedom. But if you're trying to punish people, that's exactly what you do, because that's the core purpose of the Equality Act.
1: And that goes right along with cancel culture and what we're seeing in so many different ways to try to stifle uh, the liberties and freedoms of people who disagree with the current trend and the current government. And so even uh, with things like the Biden administration uh, put putting people in place like Becerra and putting uh, these types of executive orders that are out in just the first couple of months of his administration. Um, For people who want some encouragement, I think, you know, what are ways that people can get involved uh, before potentially they need Alliance Defending Freedom, Uh, but what are some ways that uh, the average individual can participate?
2: Well, you know, the the first thing I would say generally is people need to get together and and form uh, coalitions and work in concert. Um, You know, there's so many times we we think that we can do things alone. And so I I would encourage you. I just uh, spent some time in Florida with a, a man who's motivated to organize his county to take back his county for, for right-thinking principles. And I would encourage people to, to do that kind of thing, because it's, you know, yes, we should write letters, yes, you should call your congressman, yes, you should call your city councilman, yes, you should vote for the right kind of people, yes, you should volunteer for campaigns, yes, you should donate to organizations that are fighting the right kind of causes, uh, both politically and legally. But, but you need to get together and you need to start some stuff. And if you're just taking back your city, you're doing a big thing. And so I, I would, you know, people who want to do what's right, right. Start locally and, and uh, organize a group and get something done in your community. That's what you should be doing to, mm. to really fight.
1: Yeah. And so what does that look like? I guess for somebody who's sitting there going, yes, I really want to do that. Um, what are some of examples of how people have run successful coalitions locally?
2: Well, I mean, I saw you, uh, this, the way we got to know each other is uh, we were going back and forth on pay- Facebook and you said, well, why don't we go teach people you know, <laughs> yes. about these constitutional issues? I said, well, you, Jenna, you go organize the conference. If you get at least 500 people, I'll come and teach it with you. Well, you Challenge got, accepted, you, yes. you, you You brought 750 people, it was one person, you got 750 people to come, and you and I taught them for a couple of days about the Constitution.
1: And 2,000 online, because we live streamed. Yeah. So and thanks so to my dad, that's shout out
2: what, to my dad. That's what uh, one person can do, and so people need to be able to, uh, you know, organize things and work okay. together. Get your pastor involved. You know, go ask your pastor if you can be the civics representative for your church and and, uh, gather good information from groups like Family Research Council, from ADF, from Concerned Women for America, from Heritage Foundation, and take that to your pastor and get snippets of that to people in your church. That kind of thing anybody can do.
1: Absolutely. And that sounds a lot like um, a lot of these other organizations that are already part of church. You know, all of these different clubs and things, like I know my sister-in-law, as part of MOPs and, you know, all of these, uh, the moms meetings and you have Bible studies, you have all of those things. So it's not actually different than having those types of clubs for education uh, purposes on civics. And I've seen, Mike, especially since uh, President Trump and seeing the investment that he made into people who want to participate in civics, and he brought this to everyone's attention. There is really a hunger uh, from a lot of people that they want to know about civics uh, in their own, in their own society.
2: Yeah. Well, I I, uh, did a video series on the Constitution called Constitutional Literacy, which a lot of groups have played. So if you want to do something on education, go get my Constitutional Literacy DVD series and show it to people in your church or your Tea Party group or whatever you've got. Uh, That'll work. I'm working on a civics curriculum right now uh, to to be able to do that as well. But yeah, people need to know both how the government works and should work, and they need to know the issues. That's part of what I'm going to do is teach apologetics about the issues.
1: that's fantastic. Uh,
2: so, people need to study, and, and they can learn. Uh, and it's yeah. really important that you dig in and, and get something and
1: done. And no better teacher, I will tell you from my own personal experience, than Michael Ferris. So, definitely get all the resources, his books, uh, all of those things, and we're going to be right back to address one more topic with Mike Ferris here on Just the Truth. And the time always goes so fast here on Just the Truth, because I have such wonderful guests like Mike Ferris, the CEO and president of Alliance Defending Freedom. And Mike, we've been talking about all of these constitutional issues and how people can get involved. And that, of course, leads us to the question that everyone's asking is, how can they get involved in election integrity? And I want to ask you about that subject matter uh, specifically, because a lot of people really don't understand what the Constitution says about federal elections, specifically the Electoral College.
2: Well, the Electoral College is governed by the provision that that gives exclusive authority to state legislatures to make the rules for picking the electors. And so uh, that means for presidential elections, effectively. And so uh, the problem with the last election, from my perspective, I think the Texas case uh, argued the correct things. It it came a little late, unfortunately. uh, And there was a you know, it was a lot of issues, but, but I think they had the correct legal theories, and that is that the, what, what happened is that uh, courts they don't have the authority to set the rules, legislatures do. Um, secretaries of state can't change the rules midstream. Only legislatures can change the rules. And so we need to make sure that legislatures are taking actions right now to make sure that the elections, like Georgia passed a, a good bill today. But the, the basic problem, I, from my perspective, was the mail-in ballots. Uh, that's what I think was the most problematic, because you, basically you put boxes out in parking lots, and you dump as many ballots in as you want, and then you say, we're not going to follow the rules created by the legislature on ballot security measures to to check the signatures on the ballots to see if they're valid. Well, you open a Pandora's box when you do that. That was the problem. And you, know, you couldn't prove election fraud until you could get all that stuff out. And 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 so I think that the, the basic issue needs to be the legislature needs to tighten all that up on mail-in ballots. And what you want to make sure is that if you're going to use mail-in ballots at all, you absolutely check the signatures and you provide true bipartisan review of the signature verification process. If you do that, you'll cure the vast majority of these problems, and so citizens need to be going to their state legislators right now and insisting that we have fair and open elections and clearing up this this whole business of the mail-in ballot thing. That to me is the central problem.
1: Yeah, and President Trump was saying that from even as early as February of 2020, saying that, you know, this is going to create mass chaos and irredeemably compromised elections. And so uh, when you look at what happened in 2020, when uh, there wasn't this type of audit, when you didn't have the signature matching, when you didn't have uh, all of these checks that should have been there, uh, constitutionally speaking, when, you know, and I was obviously there in the state legislatures telling them uh, what their constitutional authority was uh, and is. And so how can state legislatures legislatures for the Republican-controlled one, and you're right, this should be bipartisan because uh, free and fair elections are a hallmark of our society. We right. get to select uh, those we put in office. But for state legislators, what do they need to know about their authority when there is a corrupted election? Well,
2: I mean, the the time to fight is ahead of time. Yes. Um, and so the uh, we need to pass good laws now, and we need to put uh, the ability to bring pre-election challenges to anything that that is going to uh, change those rules that that's that's the key thing right there having clean election challenge procedures on the backside is always going to be the hardest part of it but there were three hundred cases filed by the left challenging uh, election integrity rules ahead of time and we got to make sure that the Republican attorney generals and other conservatives are uh, stepping into the fray and making sure that uh, uh, that's not uh, gone unchallenged that you know uh... My friend, our friend, Ken Cuccinelli is working on that. The uh, Heritage Foundation is working on that. Others are going to do it. And I, I'm glad that somebody is going to be addressing these issues because it's absolutely crucial that we meet these uh, uh, election issues uh, ahead of time next time and not get caught behind, the, you know, trying to litigate things afterwards. That is the hardest thing to do by our. By yeah, our.
1: of course. And, and that makes sense because, you know, it's it's much better to prevent a car accident than try to clean up and, you know, reconstruct right. the car after the And so that just makes sense from a practical standpoint. But of course, the left always says, well, this is about disenfranchising people. This is about, you know, all of their talking points. What's your constitutional response to that?
2: Well, I only want to disenfranchise people that are not entitled to vote, including the second time they're trying to vote or the third or the fourth or the fifth. And and so the uh, um, no one is going to be disenfranchised if we simply say, let's have proper registration, Proper voting. Let's make sure you sign your 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 uh, on the the enrollment sheet when you go in to vote. If you're going to be in person, or you're going to you know sign. Uh, when you're gonna mail something in and people can verify your signature now there may be some other ways to verify the identity I mean I, I would like to see people have to create passwords uh, right uh, but and, and you have to use the password uh, to cast a ballot now that
1: and, and you would think that that would be such a not complicated thing I mean even just for people who you know want to get their Netflix account you yeah. know that's worth you know what eight dollars a month right. they, it's password protect right yeah. and so I
2: can't make a haircut appointment without a password yeah I mean if, you, if, if that's a requirement than, you know, requiring a pass, but some form of ballot integrity, whether it's passwords or good signature requirements, but it just simply want, we want to know the people who are entitled to vote, registered to vote, the people who have voted were the people who, who they said they were. That's it. That's the only thing that anybody legitimate wants. And if we can do those things, then I, I trust the, the, the American people to elect good people more often than not.
1: Yes, and and I think the hope here for a lot of people is that there are a lot of efforts that are out there that are pursuing uh, what needs to be done in these states. And of course, you know, here on Just the Truth, we'll be talking about that a lot more uh, as the show continues. And so, Mike Fears from Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, your website is adflegal.org, and um, people can uh, sign up on uh, for their churches as well with the Church Alliance, mm-hmm. and then also um, you go to adflegal.org if they want uh, any of the legal services. Right. Um, and so but thank you so much for joining me today it's been a real privilege for me and um, thank you so much for the work and also for the investment that you've uh, given to me personally I'm
2: very proud of you Jenna keep it going
1: thank you so much Mike